Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and we're turning to 1 Timothy chapter 3 again this morning. Uh, we have two readings this morning. The first is from 1 Timothy chapter 3, and then the second is from James chapter 5. Uh, you'll find 1 Timothy chapter 3 on page 992 of the Pew Bibles, page 992. We're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. And then once we've done that, we're going to turn over to James chapter 5. I'll give you the, the page number for that in just a moment. Uh, we're finishing our, our series on eldership this morning. And we're thinking again about uh, what the Apostle Paul writes about overseers, elders, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So 1 Timothy 3, page 992, and we're reading verses 1 to 7. This is God's word to us. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And then we turn over to James chapter 5. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find this on page 1013. Page 1013. I'm just going to read a few verses at the end of the book of James, James 5, and we're reading from verse 13 down to verse 18. Page 1013 of the Pew Bibles. James 5, beginning at verse 13. James writes Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's tear our Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to think again about qualifications for elders this morning. And as you're turning to 1 Timothy chapter 3, page 992 of the Pew Bibles. Let's pray for a moment together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we look at what the Bible says again about elders, that you would help us by your spirit to understand the calling of an elder, the, the, the role of an elder. We pray that you'd speak to us, that you would challenge us in our own walk with the Lord Jesus and that you'd help us to to understand these things in a in a rich and fresh way and we pray these things for Jesus sake 
Amen. Well, this is our final morning on the eldership here in church. We've covered a lot of ground over the past four Sundays. Uh, we've taken two Sundays to think about the church, and this is our second Sunday thinking about qualifications for elders. Uh, let me give you a final reminder that voting papers must be received by the end of the evening service tonight. Uh, but I do hope this series has helped you as you've considered who would be suitable to serve in our congregation in this way. And that's the key word, isn't it? Serve. The leaders that you're going to choose are going to serve our congregation. One of the things that I think is so important to grasp and understand about church leadership is that it's service. Uh, sometimes people use this awful phrase when speaking about elders and leaders, and they say, so-and-so is high up in the church. I, I really, really don't like that phrase. There's no doubt that elders play a significant role in decision-making, but to be an elder is, is not to take up high office. It's a high calling to be an elder, but to serve the Lord's church in this way is to go down into service. Now, the key example is the Lord Jesus himself. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a monarch, a prime minister, a president, a CEO, no, by taking on the form of a servant. That was Paul writing about Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said about himself and how he understood his coming into our world. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of the dangers that we have to, be, have to be aware of is misunderstanding the role of an elder. It isn't a badge of honor to be worn and paraded around. It isn't the opportunity to lord it over other people and boss them around. It isn't a guarantee of status or power or influence either. It's a call to service. Here's how one elder puts it. This was written by a Christian writer called Tim Challies. He blogs regularly online and he wrote the following about what it's like for a minister or an elder to serve the church of Christ. Charlie's wrote this. He says, the highest privilege and greatest honor in pastoring is not standing in the church pulpit, but praying by the hospital bed. It's not being accorded the highest place, but carrying out the least seen service. It's not broadcasting the truth to thousands, but whispering it to one. The holiest moments of pastoring are the ones that are seen by the fewest people. That, that, that very much cuts against the grain of service in our mod modern world. Service in our modern world has to be seen and mentioned and, and even posted on social media. Everyone has to know about what we've done, how we've served and so on. But Jesus warned us against that type of service in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So service in Jesus' church means following his example of, of taking on the form of a servant. And it also means realizing that a lot of service given will be unseen and unnoticed by a significant number of people. The leaders that you're going to choose are going to serve our congregation. Well, what does it look like to be an elder in Jesus' church, though? Well, last week we mentioned that there are seven important qualifications. There are probably more than seven, but that's the number we've gone with, and we've considered four already. An elder's personal life, an elder's family life, an elder's relationships, and an elder's work life. This week we're going to look at three more. 
We're going to anchor most of our thinking in 1 Timothy 3, but we're going to turn over to James 5 for the final qualification this morning. In addition to the qualities we've already thought about, what other qualities does the Bible tell us to look for in elders? What qualities should you be thinking about as you consider who you will elect? The three we're going to mention this morning are an elder's spiritual maturity, an elder's teaching ability, and an elder's prayerfulness. First of all, then, this morning, let's think about an elder's spiritual maturity. The key verse for us in this point is 1 Timothy 3, verse 6. Look at what Paul says. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. The word for recent in the original text of the Bible has the meaning of newly planted. The force of that picture is that a plant has to send its roots down deeply before it can produce fruit convincingly. And the logic of of Paul's thinking is that if someone has only just become a Christian, that that person should be allowed time to mature and grow in their faith. And we we get that sense with the word that we use for leaders in the church. What's the word that we use? It's the word elders. The, the Old Testament word for elder is very significant. It probably originally meant somebody who has a beard. And the idea behind it was that it was, that, was, it, that it, was it was someone who was reasonably mature. Uh, clearly, an elder was recognized as belonging to the older age group, but not necessarily the elderly age group. It's quite easy to confuse the words elder and elderly. The emphasis of the Old Testament is more on the wisdom and maturity that comes with years than the age of the person. And that emphasis continues into the New Testament as well. Do you know how many qualifications there are for someone to become president of the United States? The US Constitution states that to be the president, you must be a natural born citizen of the United States and that you must have been a resident there for 14 years. Those are obvious qualifications. But the only other qualification is that you must be over the age of 35. And that's it, over the age of 35. You might not think that's a very adequate qualification, but it is a significant thing that the the US Constitution says that their president must be a certain age, that they they must be a a bearded individual, so to speak. They need to be someone who who will, in some sense, command respect and be able to exercise authority. We should remember that Paul also tells Timothy not to let anyone despise his youthfulness. What Paul is saying is that spiritual authority doesn't come automatically with the years. Just because you're older doesn't mean that you're more spiritually mature. Spiritual authority comes from being an example to the flock. Being elected as an elder means that a congregation has seen evidence of spiritual maturity. The, the, the main danger Paul highlights when it comes to recent converts being selected as elders is that they'll become proud. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. The language here, become puffed up, is, is very colorful. It's very expressive. You maybe don't get this sense as you read it, but it means filled with smoke, f- f- filled with, with hot air, we might say. That's the danger in choosing a new convert to be a spiritual leader. They become proud. And that means that also means that the opposite of pride is a qualification for an elder. And what's the opposite of pride? Well, it's humility. Humility is so important when it comes to service and church life. 
Humility is seen through someone's reaction to criticism. It's seen through someone's desire or lack thereof to be up at the front. It's seen through someone being willing to serve in ways that very few people see. It's seen through someone acknowledging that their way isn't always the right way and that other people have a contribution to make. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. The, The end of that sentence is interesting, isn't it? The devil is mentioned. And what Paul is saying is that judgment was passed on the devil because of his pride and the same thing will happen to elders who are proud as well. A would-be elder's spiritual maturity must be evident then before they're placed in a position of leadership. That's what Paul is saying. And if we think about that in other areas of life, it makes a whole lot of sense. If you need a tooth removed, you're not going to go to a trainee dentist to pull it out. You're going to go to your own dentist, the dentist that you've known for years, because they have experience and they have know-how. If you need surgery, you'd be more nervous about it if it was being performed by a surgeon who was just qualified compared to a surgeon who has 25 years experience. Or if you have a young fellow working with you in the farm, you're not going to send him down to the market to buy livestock. You're not going to send him out to buy machinery or equipment because of their inexperience. The, The point is the same here. If someone has just come to know the Lord Jesus, they need to be given time to mature in their faith before being given leadership. An elder is to be someone who is spiritually mature. They, they've got spiritual experience in that they've, they've walked with God, have known him in their lives, and have proved themselves and demonstrated the reality of their faith to others in the church they belong. As well as the qualities we've looked at last week, we should look for an elder's spiritual maturity And then secondly, an elder's teaching ability. An elder's spiritual maturity. And then secondly, an elder's teaching ability. This qualification comes from 1 Timothy 3 verse 2. You'll see that it says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. Other qualities are mentioned, but the final quality in verse 2 is able to teach. Therefore, an overseer or an elder must be able to teach. Another translation uses the phrase, have the gift of teaching. The the, the reason this is so important is that one of the main ways leaders will care for God's family is by feeding the flock. That's the significance of Peter's words when he says to elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. What is the greatest task of a shepherd? A shepherd has to protect sheep, lead sheep, guide sheep, but the most basic concern of a shepherd will be to take them to good pasture. It's only as sheep are fed that they will be nourished and will grow and mature. In the same way, the great task of elders is to take the flock of God to rich pastures. Now, there's obviously a distinction that needs to be made at this point. In churches like ours, we have ruling elders and teaching elders. Teaching elders are people like me, the minister. My main role is to preach and teach the Bible. Ruling elders care for the spiritual needs of the congregation but also have a role when it comes to teaching. Every elder, whether his ministry is public teaching or of a different kind, should have a burden that the flock is being fed. This is the one requirement that isn't required of all believers. When it comes to the other qualities we've talked about, there's a sense in which all believers, all Christians should chase after them. But being able to teach is a distinguishing mark of an elder. Now, what does it look like in practical terms? It can be preaching a 20-minute sermon, 
but it's not necessarily or only upfront ministry. All elders are to be able to teach, but not all elders will be comfortable standing in front of a group of people and speaking for any length of time. Being able to teach means that an elder is concerned that the flock is receiving the word of God. That means that when an elder goes into somebody's home, the conversation should move towards what the Bible says and to spiritual things. Being able to teach can also mean that an elder is involved in an organization or group within church life that is concerned with teaching the Bible to others, children, young people, or those who are older. And being able to teach means helping another member of the church family to understand something in a deeper way. Think of it in this way. I, I, I preach a sermon, and part of it isn't all that clear, or part of it is dense and hard to understand. That maybe happens quite often. But anyway, you're confused by one point in particular, and you want more clarity. There's tea and coffee after the service, and you approach the tea table at the same time as an elder. You should feel comfortable and confident enough to ask an elder what the confusing part of the sermon was about. Comfortable, because the elder should be approachable. Confident, because an elder should be able to teach. An elder or would-be elder should have a good grasp of the main teaching of the Bible and should be willing to talk things through. They should say things like, I'm not quite sure about that, but I'll, I'll go away and do some study and I'll call with you and we'll talk it through. I'll, I'll try my best to help you understand the part that you couldn't grasp. It might well be that an elder has a skill for explaining and teaching in a one-on-one -on -one situation and is more capable at it than the minister is. That, that, that'll be a huge plus for a church family. Remember, the highest privilege and greatest honor in pastoring and shepherding it isn't broadcasting the truth to thousands, but whispering or speaking it to one. An elder must have spiritual maturity that is evident to others, and an elder must have an ability to teach. The, the, the final thing we want to think about this morning is an elder's prayerfulness. An elder's prayerfulness. Uh, this qualification doesn't come from 1 Timothy 3, but it's clear from the entire teaching of the New Testament that an elder should be someone who prays. There's a, a very revealing comment towards the end of James's New Testament letter. We read it earlier in the service. J James is talking about people who are sick, and he writes this. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Now, most people who are interested in what James writes here are concerned with the question of divine healing, but it's so easy to miss the more basic and fundamental truth and it's easy to miss a vital qualification for elders. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Why should the sick person call for the elders? Not because they're doctors, not because they have some divine gift of healing, but because the person who is sick needs to be prayed for. Who are to be the praying people in the congregation, according to James? It's the elders. This is another distinguishing mark Elders or would-be elders will be people who pray. They'll be people who pray regularly in their own walk with God. They'll be people who value corporate prayer and worship. They'll be people who come to the midweek prayer meeting. One of the most provocative books on prayer has been written by a man called E.M. Bounds. At the beginning of his book, Power Through Prayer, he writes this. He says, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better not new organizations or more, not, or, or, or more and novel methods, 
but men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The requirement here is not that elders should pray confident, articulate, wordy prayers and prayer meetings. It's that elders see the importance, value, and necessity of prayer in their personal lives and in the life of the congregation. The, the prayer life of a congregation is its heartbeat. The prayer life of a congregation will dictate its effectiveness in ministry. There's a story told about the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, whose, whose ministry was defined by his dependence on God through prayer. People traveled to his church to learn the secrets of his success. When visitors would come to Spurgeon's church, he would take them to a basement room that was constantly used for prayer. Spurgeon called this room the, the powerhouse of the church. And he said this about it. He said, if the engine room is out of action, then the whole mill will grind to a halt. We cannot expect blessing if we do not ask. Who are to be the praying people in the congregation, according to the Bible? The elders. Elders or would-be elders will be people who pray and who believe in the utter necessity, power, and effectiveness of prayer. The, the, those then are our qualifications for elders. Last week we thought about an elder's personal life. Elders should be followers of Jesus and should be walking with God and should be examples to others. We thought about an elder's family life. Elders should be one women men and should bring up their family in the ways of Christ. An elder's relationships and work life should also be marked by integrity and uprightness. This week we've thought about how an elder should be spiritually mature. They'll have spiritual experience in that they've walked with God, have known him in their lives, and have proved themselves and demonstrated the reality of their faith to others in the church they belong an elder should also have teaching ability. It's, all, it's not all about speaking at the front. It's also about being able to explain the faith in a smaller, maybe one-on-one -on -one setting. And an elder should be prayerful. Who are to be the praying people in the congregation according to the Bible? It's the elders. Elders or would-be elders will be people who pray and who believe in the utter necessity, power, and effectiveness of prayer. The, the principle underlining all that we've said in this series, and particularly over the past two weeks, is that when it comes to selecting elders, that selection needs to be made on biblical criteria, never worldly criteria. Now, this is where churches go wrong. Ch churches think that selecting Christians, Christians who are influential, talented people in the world's terms, will help the progress of the church. But no one should be chosen for eldership because he has been successful in other spheres of life or because they're a person of significance in business or the professions. We've looked at the biblical criteria and when God is raising up men of such quality, it will be evident to those within a church family. How will that be evident? In various ways, people will emerge in the life of a congregation who are gifted godly leaders. They'll gradually come to your attention and will almost be displayed and, and shown by God. And that's the thing. God produces godly leaders. As his people, we simply recognize them, but godly leaders are a gift from God to his church. As I said last week, that this is a significant time for us as a church family that there have been significant changes in my time here, especially within Kirk Session. 
as we remember the men who have stepped back from active duty or who have gone to be with the Savior, what, what can we say about them? Well, we can say two things. First of all, they were a gift to us from God. Our church family is where it is today because of the godly leaders who have served and gone before us. And we should be eternally grateful to God for them. And second, they were 100% committed to the work of this congregation. They were team players. They wanted to progress the work. They wanted to advance the gospel in our area. The same commitment is required now. What we need at this point in our history are men who are 100% committed to the work. We need men who are spiritually mature. We need men who have an ability to articulate the gospel. We need men who are going to pray. And we need men who are going to be committed, 100% committed to Christ, 100% committed to serving our church family. The role of an elder isn't a badge of honor to be worn and paraded around. It isn't an opportunity to lord it over people and boss them around. It isn't a guarantee of status or power or influence. It's a call to service. It's a call to serve in the way that Jesus has served us. And how did he serve us? By saving us, by being 100% committed to us, by, by giving his life as a ransom for many. To be an elder in the church is a high calling, but it's also the greatest privilege. It's as we said at the beginning, the highest privilege and, and greatest honor of of being an elder is not standing in the church pulpit, but praying by a hospital bed. It's not being accorded the highest place, but carrying out the least seen service. It's not broadcasting the truth to thousands. It's whispering it to one. The holiest moments of shepherding the family of God are the ones that are seen by the fewest people. We should pray that God will bless us with godly new leaders in the days that lie ahead. That's what we're going to do now as we bring our thinking on this issue to a close. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that it has so much practical instruction about the role of elders in your church this morning, we thank you for elders who have gone before us, who have stepped back from active duty, who have gone to be with you in glory. We thank you that our church family here in Bukna is where it is today because of godly elders who were 100% committed to the work. We pray that as a congregation, we would elect godly new leaders in the days that lie ahead. We pray that you would raise up men of your choosing to serve you here in our church family and that much glory would be brought to Christ. Lord, we, we long to advance the work here in Bucknow. We long to, to move the gospel forward, to, to reach more people with the saving news of Jesus and his death on the cross. Father, we pray that you'd help us by your spirit to elect godly leaders and that you would be pleased to bless us in this way. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.